Bill Anstrother. He uh, has been helping every nation. He's not actually a part of every nation. He's not an every nation pastor, but he is, he is a uh, leader in his own movement. Uh, and he has been helping every nation to put together the content for our sermons. And as we have been working with him, I have just found him to be one of the most insightful men about what the Bible really says. And so we, we went and we said, please come and speak to our church and share some of that wisdom. What I just love about him is that he's been in ministry since 1961. That's, that's, can we just give him a hand for that? He made it. He made it. Uh, and listen to this church. This is going to really, really blow your mind. He has been involved in or helped with the start of between 700 and 800 churches. The reason he gives us an approximate number is because he's lost count a long time ago. So I feel like that also deserves a hand. Isn't that just amazing? It's just, Bill, we salute you. We really salute you. Um, he has, um, he's married to one wife. He has three married daughters and eight grandchildren. That also deserves a round of applause. <laughs> really, really. Can, can we just welcome as he, him as he comes? Come on up, Pastor Bill. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, uh, Pastor Carol, and uh, it's been a great pleasure for me to meet your pastors at, uh, at Every Nation, and I myself have learned so much, and I've grown so much through, uh, through meeting you folks. How do you switch this thing on? Excuse me, guys, I might have been in the ministry since 1961, but I'm technologically challenged. I think that's the <laughs> word for it. Thank you very much. And uh, I've been asked to speak about this subject, and I'll be happy to do that. Uh, before I do so, may I just say that uh, the Every Nation people, I'm sure they've been more of a blessing to me than I've been to them. I've, uh, yes. How can you? Uh, how many of you are there? All <laughs> oh, right, well, there you are. <laughs> They're these 15 great people of God, and I'm t I tell you that I have learned so much from them, and I'm not, uh, well, I don't know how to say this, I'm not being nice about this, I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> Sorry? Always tell the truth, wow, that's a challenge. <laughs> Thank you, I sometimes need those kind of challenges. Thank you very much, I'll try. Now, I was uh, reading the Bible last night, or actually it was the night before. Well, when was it? Actually, it was the ninth. That's a time back, isn't it? I don't normally write dates in the margin of my Bible, but when I find something really nice, I do. Because you were mentioning my daughters, you know. And it says there, it's uh, in Proverbs 24, it's saying 21. I usually read the, uh, half a chapter, a chapter of Proverbs every night. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it's established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And you know, I, you know, uh, it, my life sounds really like something when Pastor Carol talks about it, but it's been a long, hard grind sometimes. I've had to work through a lot of rubbish and a lot of stuff in my own life, my own issues. I, I'm not married, Carol. I don't have a wife. Oh. I've had two wives and they both died. 
And uh, these kind of things have torn my life apart, you know, and I've had a lot of things happen in my life. And, uh, but I know the Lord has been with me the whole way through. And it's all part of God's program. I mean, I know my wives are in a better place, you know, and so on. I know, I know all that. And I praise the Lord. They're absolutely beautiful ladies, both of them. But um, now I'm on my own and just walking with the Lord. So I have this desire in my heart. And actually, can I just say that twice in my life, the Lord has said to me on my birthday, once way back in 1978, the Lord said to me on my birthday, ask me for anything you want for your birthday. <laughs> well, it's a challenge. So I thought, well, okay, you know, we, at that stage we'd just arrived in Johannesburg. We were looking for a house to live in, and all the houses were beyond our price, you know. We couldn't actually find anything, my wife and I, and we were, we were uh, having to move out of the place we were in. And so, uh, and we'd been really disappointed about this one beautiful house we looked at, and the estate agent had led us to think that we could perhaps afford this one. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this experience. <laughs> we get to the house and really eventually when we looked at it and we decided this is exactly what he what he gave us a price that was nearly double what we could afford, you know. So anyway, then uh, I was I got up the next morning, it was my birthday. And the Lord said to me, Ask me for anything you want for your birthday. It was Sunday. And I paused and I thought, I was just gonna say, Lord, please give us that house. And then, um, the, uh, and then I thought, now, wait a minute. This is a test. <laughs> is the house really the most important thing you know, in your life? So then at that time, I thought I was in a, I, we were establishing this new congregation, you know. And I said, uh, all right, Lord. What I would like is I would like to see people really saved through my ministry today. If people could really come to the Lord through my ministry today, that would be the best birthday present I could have. So I went to church, and wow, the Lord moved. And I tell you, even the, our congregation made such a fuss of me. I've never had a birthday like that. They turned on a party after the service, and they made a fuss of me, and wow, it was lovely. And uh, then in our meeting, people came forward and got saved. I remember this one guy. He was a big, big chap. He was a university student at Wits, studying engineering. And I said to him, what do you want prayer for? He said, he's crying. He says, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. So I led him in prayer. And then I said to him, do you think the Lord's heard your prayer? And he said, Pastor, one week ago, for me, there was no God. And he said, here I am standing, giving my heart to Jesus. And he said, I know there's a God. And I tell you, that touched my heart, although it was better than any birthday present I could have asked for, you know. In fact, I'm still in touch with him. He's in America now in Silicon Valley, and uh, he's uh, still working there and is... And I'm still, I'm still in contact with that 
young man, you know, although, of course, he's probably quite a bit older now. But um, now the thing is that all those wonderful things happened. Quite a number of people gave their lives to the Lord. There was a big boost in the church. I came home. I was on cloud nine. We went to bed in the middle of the night. My wife, Yvonne, suddenly sits bolt upright in the bed. And I said, what's going on, honey? She said, you know, Bill, we never asked the Lord for that house. I said, what do you mean? We're always praying for a house. You know, the Lord will guide us. No, she said, but I think we should have asked for that specific house. <laughs> and I said, no, I mean, she said, no, I'm sort of in a spot because she's telling me <laughs> that I should pray for this house. And just that same morning, I decided I wasn't going to pray for the house. I was going <laughs> to See, so now, she said, we never actually asked the Lord for that house. So I said, no, that's true. We didn't. He said, well, we should do that. So I said, all right. So we held hands and I said, Lord, you know that we're prepared to accept anything you want us to have. <laughs> but Lord, as far as we're concerned, we like that house. Please give it to us. Thank you very much. Amen. And I went back to sleep. The next day, the estate agent was showing people around the house we were in. And, uh, and uh, as he walks out, I walked out behind him, and he goes like this to me. So um, the other party drove off, and I trotted after him and said, excuse me, Henry, what does this mean? <laughs> he says, this means that those people are nibbling at your offer, people for the house you were looking at. Wow. So anyway, to cut a long story short, we got the house. <laughs> so, so we asked for what I thought the Lord wanted, and the Lord gave us what we wanted. <laughs> How did I get onto this? I'm sorry. <laughs> names of God. Well, I think one of the things about the names of God, I'm not talking about all the names of God. There are lots of names of God in the Bible. I'm talking about two particular names of God that I've been asked to talk about. And I'll just do a quick introduction on the other. I've got, what, about 30 minutes? Huh? Oh, wow. I had 30 minutes when I started. You see, miracles happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, but before I go any further, I'd like to pray. So if we may do that. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And I want to thank you for your love, Lord. I want to thank you for your care for us in every area of life. Above all, Lord, I know that you want us to be your children. You want us to accept you. You want us to be in your family. You want us to love you, Lord, and to walk with you and to listen to you, to share our lives with you, Lord, and you want to share your life with us. And I praise you for this, Lord, and I pray that as we go forward with this short message, that the Holy Spirit will give us illumination. Lord, that you will speak into our hearts things that are fresh to us, that we might receive some revelation from the Holy Spirit today to open our understanding to things that perhaps we'd never quite grasped. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm an old-fashioned Pentecostal folk, so if I say hallelujah now and then, don't worry too much. You can just say, if I shout hallelujah, you're supposed to say amen. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so let's move forward. The names of God. Where are we going with this? Does this work? God's names reveal truth about who he is. You see, the thing about God is that we human beings are tiny little specks on a very, very small planet going around a sun that is not very spectacular in universal terms and part of a... Sorry, Pastor. Did you need to be woken up? Okay. So... Part of a planet, part of a solar system that's not that great, you know? But, uh, and, and the scientists sort of say, well, you know, how could a creator who's so big that he fills everything, what concern could he possibly have about little things like us on this tiny planet here in, uh, in this small little solar system away from everywhere, far from the center of even our galaxy, never mind the whole universe. Well, anybody who studies science knows that. But according to the Bible, God is interested in us. That God not only is he vast and massive beyond our comprehension, but God is also interested in the detail of, of everything in the universe. I used to ha have a problem explaining that to people at one time. People used to say to me, how can that possibly be? But of course, nowadays, it's no problem to understand that, is it? You say, why not, Pastor? Because I can walk up to a little machine in the wall. And I can push a card into it and it knows who I am. And people in America can know that I'm doing that. There's a machine somewhere that's keeping track of everything. A machine! <laughs> I think the God who made everything, even the amazing DNA molecules and all that, is actually not going to have a problem with it. And that's what Jesus said when he said, not even a sparrow falls to the ground, but your father is aware of it. Wow. Did I move that on by mistake? I touched something. Okay. Okay, so your father's aware of it. So don't be intimidated, brothers and sisters and friends, by the size of everything. Because no matter how big it is, you have something inside you that God is interested in. And you're a person who, when this world is gone, according to the Bible, when there's no world anymore, when this universe gets old, and by the way, the Bible tells us that this universe is going to get old. It says one day God is going to fold up this universe the way you fold up your clothes at night. Put it away and take out a new one. Did you know that was in the Bible? So, so there's no problem. You know, you're going to outlive the universe. You're more important than this uh, universe because when it's finished, you're going to go on. So we shouldn't be intimidated. God's no, So, okay, we see in nature certain things about God. But if you really want to know who God is, don't look at nature. Listen to God. If you're looking at nature and trying to derive what you understand about nature about God from nature, you're going to get it wrong. 
every philosophy, every idea of human beings about God is stretching, is reaching out in the dark for something they can't possibly understand or know by our little human reason. It's guesswork. I've just been given a book to read, and this book talks about getting to know God, you know. And uh, this man is very much, you know, the way to get to know God apparently is to sit, switch off your brain, and just sit there and know that you can't possibly know God because he's too big. <laughs> and then you sit and you, you don't meditate, you just make your mind a blank, and you rest there. Sorry? I won't tell you who he is. You know the man. Okay. But in any case, that's not what the Bible teaches us. That's not what is in the Bible. And he's got names of God like the great unknown and that kind of thing, you know. Just human guesswork. The only way we can know God is if he talks to us. Like, I mean, you can guess what I'm like. You could have looked at me here and seen gray hair and a bit of a bald spot there growing all the time. And you could have had a guess about me. But I want to tell you that until I opened my mouth and started talking, you could never really know anything about who I am. You're guessing. It's the same with you. And it's the same with God. We have to listen to God. We have to get close to him. We have to listen to him. We have to see what is God saying. Then when we listen to God, and when God tells us this is what I'm like, then we can say, yes, Lord. And to be honest with you, I don't argue with God. I've given that up long ago. I found that is not only futile, but it's stupid. I don't argue with God. God says something, I say, thank you, Lord, I believe that. <laughs> or, Lord, I don't like that, but I believe it anyway. <laughs> because because uh, the only thing I can know about God is what he tells me. Nothing else. Now, what about the names of God is one way we can know God. God tells us who he is. His names reveal truth about who he is. Now, I've got to press a button here. There we are. Names of God to help us understand how we may relate to him. So you see, when God tells us who he is, that helps us to know what we've got to do to really relate to him. Let's move on. Three main names of God in the Bible. The first one is El or Elohim. The first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's a very interesting verse, that. Because that verse contains so much truth packed into it. We're not going to try and analyze it all, but I just want to tell you one thing about that verse that immediately startles us. And that is that uh, uh, it says, in the beginning, God. And it uses a plural word for God. Elohim. Now that plural name of God is used for God throughout the Old Testament, Elohim. And, um, and it might surprise us that it's a plural. Now, some might think that's a plural of majesty. Well, maybe you can take it like that, like Queen Victoria says, we are not amused. 
because she's too important to say I, you know? <laughs> we are not amused. <laughs> Known as the royal we. <laughs> it's not really used in the, in the Bible by kings and so on, but uh, God, it may be. But the amazing thing is, you know, even Queen, Queen Victoria, did I say Elizabeth? Queen Victoria, even Queen Victoria said, we are not amused, which is good grammar, even if the concept is a little inflated, you know. But um, we are not amused. But Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created and uses a plural noun with a singular verb. Because it's one God, but more than one at the same time. Isn't that right? Throughout the Old Testament, God refers to himself and he's referred to as Elohim, gods. And always when it refers to pagan gods, when it says the gods of the nations, it uses a plural verb with it. When it speaks about our God, Elohim always takes a singular verb. Why is that? When you come into the New Testament, you find that God is already, because God knows who he is. <laughs> Thank you. That's wonderful that he's not confused. <laughs> he knows who he is. He knows that he's one and more than one at the same time. Amen. Genesis 1.1. Elohim. Now, there's the other name for God is El, which is the singular of this. And you will come across names of God like Elroy and El Shaddai, El Shaddai and so on, which will be explained to you in another session because I'm taking too long already. So Elohim is the general name expressing the greatness of God. Adonai just means Lord and is used for God. And Jehovah or Yahweh Lord. Nobody knows how that name should be pronounced, by the way. Nobody knows. Did you hear that? Just say that, please. Nobody knows. Anybody tells you he knows how that name should be pronounced, he's lying. He doesn't know. Because the Jews never pronounced that name. And you know, in Hebrew, original Hebrew, it was all consonants. They didn't have any vowels. And so to clarify things after many centuries of just reading uh, consonants, it's not usually too complicated to do it, by the way. If you read Hebrew and you've studied Hebrew, you find it's not that difficult to know what the words are and to read it. But without the consonants, without the vowels, sorry, but... To make it easier, they wrote the vowels in by putting dots and little marks around the word to show what, what vowels you should use with these consonants. But because they never pronounced the name YHWH, because they never pronounced that name, they wrote the consonants of Lord around it, Adonai. Sorry? The vowels, sorry. The vowels of Adonai around the consonants of YHWH. <laughs> you got it. So when they got to that word, they said Adonai. 
because they didn't, want have, they didn't want to misuse the name Yahweh, which God had said, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. So whether it's Yahweh, 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 nobody knows. That's the truth. Jesus is a shortened form of Yahweh, Shua, the Lord, the Savior. Is that right? Why doesn't it say Yahshua? Well, people who believe in this Yahweh thing have actually put Yahshua in the, in the written a New Testament like that and made up a name. That name's been made up. The only name in the New Testament for Jesus is Jesus Jesus. Nothing else. The New Testament never uses the word Yahweh or Jehovah or anything like that. It just uses the Greek word Lord, Kyrios. So much so that James, who was the most Hebrew of all the, of all the apostles, the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, when he wrote his letter, he took one of the names of God, which we pronounce as Jehovah Sabaoth or Yahweh Sabaoth or whatever, and he said, and he used that name in his epistle, but he left out Yahweh. He put Sabaoth in Hebrew, and he put Kyrios Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Hey, why did he do that? Because he didn't write the name of, of, of the Lord in there, Yahweh or Jehovah. He left it out, and he put the Greek translation, Kyrios, in there. You can look it up yourself. So if he did that, how can we be sure? So we're not sure how that name is pronounced. So excuse me, folks, I'm just sticking with the tradition of the, which I know is wrong, and just going to say Jehovah, Okay. I'm explaining why I'm doing that. So I'm not guessing what his name is. I'm telling you how to pronounce it. I'm telling you I'm just using the traditional way, the way the Hebrews would have done it. I've put the vowels of Adonai with the, with the consonants of uh, YHWH, and we've got Jehovah. So I'm just going to use that. Excuse me, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just doing it. Each of these names can be used in combination with descriptive words, e.g. El Roy, Jehovah Rapha, El Roy, the God who sees, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. All right, let's go quickly. The names of God. Jehovah, Yahweh means what? Well, the Lord introduced it. It means I am. When Moses said, well, who are you? He said, I am, I exist. Now, why, and Yahweh is a kind of an extension of that. Now, why would the Lord say that? Because the Lord is getting across there thousands of years ago. Whether you're a scholar who, who changes the history of the Bible or you believe it straight as it is, it's still more than 2,500 years ago, probably closer to 3,500 years ago. God spoke to Moses and he used those words. I am, Moses said, who are you? He said, I am what I am. What does he mean? He means, listen, I'm too big for you to understand. <laughs> I'm too big. When God says I am, he means I am what I am. 
any description that you apply to God is less than what God is. I am what I am. That's it. The closer you get to God, the more you know him. But even at the best of times, you just know a tiny fraction of this vast God who created this amazing universe, whose intellect is beyond anything we can understand, and yet who describes himself as personal, who loves, who cares, and all these personal qualities and characteristics. I am what I am. And the best thing you can do is stop arguing about it. Just accept it. Amen. Amen. So now, the Jehovah names, Yahweh names. So here they are. I'm just going to go through them quickly. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. I'm Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. These are all kind of personal ways. God is telling us how personal ways that he relates to us as individuals. You see, so he's the God who provides. He's the God who heals. He's the God who is our banner, who we can walk underneath his name. He is the Lord, our shepherd. He is the Lord who gives us peace, who gives peace. He's the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord, our righteousness. He is the Lord, our sanctification. Those are my two that I'm supposed to talk about today. I don't know if I've got time. I've still got 15 minutes. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Sorry? Miracle working God. Amen. Right, let's move on. The greatest of all the names of God is, say it. What does Jesus mean? Anybody tell me? Means Jehovah our Savior. Now there's a difference between Jesus. There were lots of little boys running around called Jesus. There are even a few of them in the Bible, you know. Sorry? By Jesus, yeah, there are a couple of them in the, in the New Testament. And Joshua is another form of that same name. So, so there are lots of people with that name. When the child was born, that's, they call him Jesus. Why did they call him Jesus? Because they wanted to uh, kind of glorify the fact that Jehovah is a savior. Amen? Amen? They wanted to glorify the fact that Jehovah is a savior. So they're saying Jehovah's a savior. Why would they call him Jesus or Joshua? Why would they call him Joshua? Because they say Jehovah, he was originally Oshia, which means salvation. And Moses changed his name, you'll remember, and he said, you're going to be called Joshua because it's Jehovah that's the savior. Okay, so, but there was proclaiming that Jehovah was the savior. But when Jesus was born, the angel came to uh, Joseph in a dream and said to him, uh, your wife is going to give birth to a child and you are to call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. 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 So if somebody else is called Jesus, it's because Jehovah's the Savior. If this one is called Jesus, it's because he's the Savior. Amen. Jesus is Jehovah the Savior and that's why Jesus walked around. He knew who he was. And he, he was a, a human being, but within him there was something that made him both divine and human. And he could say, I am the good shepherd. When everybody knew perfectly well that the Lord is the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
because Jesus is Yahweh, Jehovah, manifest in the flesh for our salvation. Amen. Amen. So we all know that, Bill. Well, okay, that's good. Jehovah, my Savior. Let's move on. Today we're going to focus, we're going to ask to focus on two names. The one is Jehovah Tzidkenu, and the other one is, what? Sorry. What's happened? There we are. They were both supposed to come in from the top. <laughs> there was significance in that. <laughs> His names were supposed to come from God, not from man. <laughs> but there you are. Because the typing came from man. <laughs> and man, he gets a little confused sometimes. <laughs> Now, if I'd got a woman to do this for me, it would have been right. Come out right. But there we are. Oh, really? Well, that's what women are for. <laughs> women are to make what the men want happen. Oh. I'm going to get... <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I'm, you must understand that I'm joking. Yeah? <laughs> sorry? You hope so. <laughs> oh, well, anyway... What did I, a phrase I learned when I arrived in Joburg, yeah, well, no fun. <laughs> the eastern suburbs, the southern suburbs of Joburg, yeah, well, no fun. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, so those are the two names. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Mkadishkem, the Lord who sanctifies you. You see, those are very significant names for us, for me. In a sense, that first one there is the foundation of everything in my life. I might tell you that I was a very confused young man when I was in my teens. Of course, to begin with, I was pretty arrogant. I was an atheist for a little while. I went through the phases, you know. And uh, I came to realize, well, there is a God. And then but I was still far from him, and then I was challenged to read the Bible. So I started reading the Bible. I was quite depressed to, to, to discover that I read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you know, blah, 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 right up to Chronicles. And I was playing through those lists of names, and I realized that it meant nothing to me. because I was just reading it. I understood the stories. I mean, I knew what was, I could see what was going on, you know. But it didn't have any significance for me. I tried to pray. And so I, I used to get on my knees and say, Heavenly Father, and then Elvis Presley, I know this dates me, Elvis <laughs> Presley would start up in my head, you know. <laughs> my hands are shaking and my knees are weak, you know. <laughs> or some other pop singer. And I couldn't focus. And so I thought, you know, when, when before I tried to come to the Lord, uh, my impression was that Christianity is not for people with uh, adequate brain and uh, strong enough to handle their own life, you know. It was for, excuse me, ladies, old ladies, and people who had problems of one kind and another. <laughs> Definitely not me. So, um, 
then I met people and I realized, actually, there is a God. And actually, I need to try to know him, you know? So then I started to seek God. And from the position of being very arrogant, very sure of myself, if old ladies can handle religion and the Bible, I can do it twice as well. But after three or four months of trying, I realized that I was not in control of my emotions. I was not in control of my life. I could not make everything happen in me the way I wanted to. I was depressed about the whole thing and ready to give up. I went on this rugby tour with the representative team, you know, a, a school's team, and I, we traveled around playing rugby, and we came back. And by the time we came back, I thought, I'm finished. For me to pretend I'm a Christian is a farce. I will never make it. So I've been reduced from arrogance to hopelessness. And, uh, and uh, that's when I went to this evangelistic meeting. And the pastor preached. It made a lot of sense to me. It was Friday, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th of August, 1957. <laughs> I remember those days. You remember? <laughs> maybe, you were, maybe you were at the meeting. There's a little twinkle in your granny's eye. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, there I was sitting there in my rugby colors blazer and all that, really thinking, I'm no good. I'm never going to make it. And the pastor preached on superstition, you know. Friday the 13th, he spoke about superstition, the foolishness of superstition. You know, black cats don't walk under a ladder, throw dust, throw stuff over your sugar, over your shoulder, whatever you spill it, and all that rubbish. Sorry? It's salt. Salt, Sorry. There you are. Sorry, I need the ladies to correct me. So now, um, so now uh, he preached about that. He said, a lot of people, their religion is just superstition. It's at that level. You pray. He said, superstition is religion without reality. Religion without reality. And I thought, wow, that's what I've got. Religion without reality. So I thought, boy, that challenged me. Afterwards, I went forward, and the pastor got hold of me, took me around the back. You know, it was quite a big meeting. A lot of people went forward. And there I was. What are you going to do? So I prayed. First of all, the pastor didn't just lead me in prayer. He said, okay, we're going to pray. Confess your sins to God. So I started with a long list, you know. Eventually, I was really in a bad way there crying over what uh, a mess I was making in my life. And then uh, we finished, and he said, look, invite Jesus into your life. Well, I did that. He led me in prayer. And then he said to me, you know, at this moment, you were just as righteous as anybody else in the world. I said, what do you mean? Well, he said, you're just as righteous as anybody. He showed me that verse there. Uh, the verse in, um, where is it? Not in, not in Romans. Jehovah said, Kenu, the verse then in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6. 
It says, and this is the name by which he shall be called, Jehovah Tidkenu, Jehovah our righteousness. He said, you know what's happened to you today? You've accepted Jesus into your life. And that when you accepted Jesus into your life, he became your righteousness. He said, so you're just as righteous as anybody. I said, what are you talking about? What about you? What about the Pope? <laughs> you know? So he said, no. If the Pope is trusting Jesus as his saviour, then Jesus is his righteousness. I trust Jesus as my saviour. Jesus is my righteousness. At this moment when you've invited Jesus into your life, you are trusting Jesus as your saviour. Jesus is your righteousness. Wow. You mean I'm as righteous as Pastor Carol? <laughs> Sorry? You don't know. <laughs> anyway, folks, I, I said, and you? I mean, I'm, he said, no, you're just as righteous as me. I mean, uh, my righteousness is Jesus, so is yours. If you died at this moment, you would be acceptable to God. Because why? Because Jesus has taken responsibility for your sins. The Lord has accepted you as his personal responsibility. And that's what he did on the cross. He bore our sins, didn't he? I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut this. Paul explains in Romans that we need to meet Jehovah Tzidkenu. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Jehovah Tzidkenu. Paul explains. Where are we going? Oh, yes. Righteousness can only come through faith. He, he uses David, Abraham as an example, David as an example, and then he says all believers have that same righteousness which comes from God. Mm. In the Old Testament, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul says his faith was his righteousness because he trusted God. Now he didn't have to prove anything. God accepted him. doesn't mean Abraham didn't sin. He did sin. Even after that, he still sinned. I can give you examples, chapter and verse. Okay, let's move on. Oops. Righteousness comes through faith. And then he says, through righteousness, you have peace with God, access to God, and life through Christ. Right, I'm sorry, I'm just having to finish this off quickly. Paul explains we need to meet, oh, now we're going to the rest of it. Right, my time's up, and I've just done righteousness, so we'll have to leave it there. But Jehovah Kadesh Kem means the Lord who sanctifies us. If you go on in Romans, you'll find that, first of all, explains that you are made righteous through Jesus. It's a kind of instantaneous thing when you receive Christ. You're acceptable to God. Your sins are blotted out. Your record is clean. But now, that doesn't change my heart. It doesn't change my thinking. It doesn't change my relationships. Now the process starts. And the process takes time. But thank God, once you let Jesus into your life, that process begins, and we can now move on where the Lord works all this out through the Holy Spirit. Uh, he works it all out through the practical changes that we make in our life. And, oops, 
What do you know? We got to the end. <laughs> I hope you're good at speed reading. Sorry about that. We'll do better in the 11 o'clock one, Carol. Okay. So now, there we are. Thank you. Awesome. Can we give him a hand? Well, what we will do is we will post the PowerPoint, Pastor Paul. Can we, can we get your PowerPoint from you? And we will post the PowerPoint on our website and on Facebook so you can go through in detail all that stuff that we sped through. Amen. Amen. Can we just pray? Lord, we thank you so much that you are indeed our righteousness, Lord. Father God, we want to celebrate that. We want to just acknowledge that you're a God who who's taken responsibility for us. Lord God, that just is mind-blowing. That, Father God, you didn't leave us alone. You didn't just say it's up to you. Make it happen. You came down and you said, let me show you the way. Let me take you by the hand. Let me lead you into righteousness. I will die for you and I will give you as a gift my righteousness. And Lord God, we want right now where we are, we want to accept that. Everyone, whether you've been a Christian forever, whether you you're not a Christian. I, I'm inviting you right now to just say, God, I give up my striving to make myself right with you, and I accept that you've already done it. And I receive that right now. I, I step into your presence. That's why we can step into his presence with boldness, because we have been made righteous. And so, Lord, we step into your presence and we understand that as we come into your presence, you sanctify us. You change our mere humanity into a divine example of righteousness. You change our fallenness into holiness, Lord. Father God, daily we find ourselves becoming more like you made us. Righteous, holy, sanctified. Because we're walking in your presence. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just want to give an opportunity, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here and you know you, you, haven't, you haven't accepted that righteousness, perhaps when I prayed that, that was the first time you did it. And if you want to acknowledge that, I would love you to just raise your hand. Perhaps you've been with God before, but you strayed away and you're wanting to come back. Or perhaps you just, you, it had never dawned on you that this is what it means to be a child of God, to accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ as your own. And if that's you and you would, you would, you've made that choice today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It might be in the first time or it might have been a subsequent time, but you've been far away from him. If that's you, won't you just raise your hand because I would love to pray for you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you, that's wonderful. Church, can we all pray this prayer together out loud? Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I surrender my life to you. I acknowledge that only you can make me righteous. And Lord, I ask that you would be my Lord and you would save me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.